Welcome to Unboxed. I'm your host, Connie Nam, the founder of Astrid and Mew. In these conversations, I speak to the founders of some of the most innovative, bold, and exciting businesses to discover the person behind the brand and what it took for them to build their empires. Today, my guest is Amy Connolly, founder of Sculpted by Amy. Amy has an amazing warmth and a girl next door quality, and she's building a legacy to make women feel good about themselves and make them feel beautiful. We sit down and talk about bootstrapping our business, trusting our gut, and building a strong culture of kindness. If you're enjoying this episode, you can watch this on YouTube or listen to it on any podcast app. So go ahead and hit subscribe. This episode is sponsored by Payhawk. Growing a business from a startup to a scale-up comes with many challenges. One way to solve this is to introduce effective systems at the right time. Payhawk, a corporate card and expenses management solution for scale-ups, have literally transformed many lives at Astrid and Mew since implementing earlier this year. To simplify, Payhawk combines company cards, reimbursable expenses, accounts payable, and seamless accounting software integrations into a single product that can be used globally. In this episode, Amy talks about bootstrapping her business with zero external investment. When you're operating with limited cash, cash flow management becomes especially important. With Payhawk's reporting facilities, we're able to harness data of historical spends, which in return helps us manage cash flow wisely. Welcome, Amy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm really excited about our conversation. So you are an influencer, makeup artist, and an entrepreneur. Very busy lady. So tell me about your journey. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like when there's loads of titles thrown into the mix, you actually understand kind of, I suppose, the areas that I do touch on within the business. But it also means that every day is different, which is great. I definitely started with the business first. So I had a funny intro to makeup in that I started working when I was like 16. I was working part time. And I was doing work experience basically with Benefit Cosmetics. And I was just so excited to be on the shop floor that I was like, hi, you want a mascara? Please sit down. I'll sell you the mascara. So they offered me a job with Urban Decay at the time. And I worked there every Saturday, Sunday. So that was really my first introduction to like customers, building confidence, makeup products, formulas, et cetera. And I absolutely loved it. What were you excited about? Were you excited about the makeup? Were you excited about making your own money? I think a bit of everything. I loved the independence. Like even when I was like closer to exams at that stage, you know, my principal would say, Amy, like you really need to focus on your study because I had huge expectations on myself personally with studies to get the grades that I wanted and stuff. But I just wasn't willing to give up my independence. You know, when you're that age and you can buy your own car, it's like nothing else matters that you can actually do it yourself. But I think... Outside of even the formulas and the makeup, I loved people's reactions on counter. When you would put something on them and you would make them feel great or they'd be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Or, oh my God, that's so easy. I think that connection was like even more special for me. And after Urban Decay, I went on to Mac just part-time again for a year and I started my business degree. I did business and French for four years. So I was always kind of working part-time, studying full-time for this kind of six-year transition period. And then as I got close to graduating, a lot of my peers around me were going into the standard kind of financial institutions. And I just knew I was never going to work for anyone else. And I was like, I'm actually going to merge business and beauty together and start my own brand. And I've been working for myself doing kind of freelance TV, editorial, bridal, you name it. And I loved the mix in makeup. But one thing I'd started doing at 20, which I think was fundamental to me having the confidence to start the brand, was I started teaching makeup. So you're sitting with people the whole time and you're hearing them ask the same questions or have the same struggles or feel really overwhelmed in a world where there's so much product. 
that I was like, actually, I can make this easier. So the light bulb went off and that's kind of where I suppose had the confidence to merge business and beauty together, but also the confidence in terms of like what direction I wanted. So like we're talking like seven, eight years ago in a world where everyone was obsessed with Instagram makeup that had layers and layers and layers. And I was kind of at the side going, oh, you don't need all those layers though. It doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't have to be that difficult or fussy. All you need is five minutes. So I kind of took a different approach. And that, to be honest, has been with the brand since day one. So yeah, back to myself still, you know, no co-founder, no co-investor and very lucky to have built the team, but I kind of did it steadily. So it's been an interesting six or seven years. It doesn't feel very steady. Now it's huge. And it's only been six and seven years. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like, and you're probably like this as well, because we're so in it and we're so invested in it. Everything is happening the whole time that I think the outside perspective is like, oh, you guys just arrived and I feel like you're everywhere. Whereas actually it's been kind of building blocks the whole time. Yeah, I guess it started when you were 16, when you're working at that makeup counter. Exactly. And then by the time the brand came along, I was 23. So, you know, you have that jump in the phase of your life. But I've basically grown up with Sculpted. Like I'm now 30. that's so I've amazing. done my 20s with uh, this. That, that, am, that is amazing and so inspiring. And yeah. you say you built up your confidence by teaching, but it's not easy as it sounds, right? How, do, how Where did you get that courage? Were you always confident? Were your parents very supportive of you starting the business? And how did you get that initial seed funding as well? So I um, come from a tiny family. It's me and my mom. Only child, single parent. She is a force to be reckoned with. That woman never takes no for an answer, let me tell you. But I also feel like the more I've sat in interviews the last few years, the more you actually do reflect and go, I really do get a lot of it from her. Do you know that real get up and go attitude or yes, you can, or you can achieve it, whatever. So I think that's been really important. Um, I think on the confidence side of things, actually my first part-time job at 16 was so valuable. So at Urban Decay, you used to have to do this thing called traffic stopping. God forbid we ever have to do it again, where you basically go and harass someone who's trying to buy tights and you're like, hello, do you want to try mascara oh today? Oh my God, that would be my biggest nightmare. I, I actually think the first time I approached a customer, I was like, and just like gibberish <laughs> came out and she felt so sorry for me. She was like, I'll come with you, pet. But actually, even my mom would say like, I was never a super shy kid, but I wasn't ultra confident either. Um, and I think really in those two or three years, getting the part-time job, being with customers, it like did wonders for my confidence. And even still to this day, like fair enough, we can sit and chat. I wouldn't worry about it. I could get up on stage, wouldn't worry about it. But I'm actually not ultimately like the most confident person in the room either. I think you always still have that little bit of shyness inside you where you're like, oh God, who do I speak to? Who do I stand beside? But I think that's what makes you charming, right? Yeah. yeah I feel like you're brand and you, you have that girl next door vibe yeah. and everything's very natural and you seem very approachable. And you know what? That is actually so lovely to hear that that's how you've absorbed us because it's exactly what we want. Like even, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about our stores as both brands have the importance of the flagships. My main messaging to new teams the whole time is we are not elite. We are not, you can't sit with us. We are for everyone. Like we're friendly, approachable, like you said, remove the intimidation. So yeah, that's brilliant that you get that vibe. That's exactly who we are (laughs) as well. I hate it when I walk into a store and they look at you up and down. I know. And like I used to get, because obviously I was on counter in those kind of formative years, that people would honestly say to me, oh God, I'd never go in there. I'd be terrified or I'd be really embarrassed or they'd be really intimidating. And I don't think it's intentional. I think it's just, you go into this like, uber attractive squad of people standing there like ready to 
to serve you on makeup and they look so amazingly done up that some people are just like, oh God, no, I couldn't, couldn't go into that. So uh, yeah, we definitely don't want that vibe. So what's been the biggest difference between being a makeup artist, influencer and an entrepreneur? God. um, So I definitely feel like entrepreneur comes first in the sense of like that business background. And I think, you know, in terms of my role in, in Sculpted, being CEO and kind of how that's grown, you know, I am involved in the content. Obviously no one can be Amy when we need Amy involved in things, but I'm still equally as involved in the operations, sit with finance, sit with trade, you know, so you kind of split yourself amongst everything. I love that. Like I am obsessed about business. I could literally sit and talk about it all day long. I think it's just the best thing ever. So I definitely started with the ambition of, of using the business back end. I think the influencer, the makeup artist side. So I'll start with makeup artists first. That for us is really important to offer like the credibility of the brand. So again, like I don't think I ever could start a brand that I wasn't knowledgeable in prior to it. Um, just in terms of my experience with Sculpted. So I was so familiar with like the consistency, the form and as the exact product I wanted. It has been so much quicker when we're like deciding on products that I have that knowledge. I think I would really struggle to like start a hair care brand in the morning, not knowing actually what the secret weapons or formulas were. So I think the makeup artistry side of things is really important. And I think, like I said, having taught makeup, listening to those concerns gave me the confidence of like, I can solve this or I can create the solutions that I want for these people. Um, And then the influencer, I think, comes naturally. I think any brand, and I'm sure you'd agree, that wants to start or any person who wants to start a brand in the morning, you can't not look at social. Like it is the engine driver of so many things that we do. So I think having the ability to be online comfortably, do these kind of things, take content, put your face forward, um, really helps us to kind of get the message across. And I'm only one part of the many more parts, but I also really enjoy it as well. It's like the break from the serious P&L stuff. And you're like, <laughs> I'm just going to sit and talk about makeup for five minutes now. So, uh, how, how do you manage your time and energy doing like all of those? I would say it's a work in progress. And I would say it's something that I, you know, I think when we're like the heads of companies and particularly when it's like a startup that, that's growing a pace with you also growing, like I am definitely very self-critical and definitely, but in a positive way of like constantly looking at myself in terms of like where I should be spending my time. What am I actually doing? Can I actually do this to grow us? Because obviously our ambitions are to be global. Yeah. I've never done that before. Do you know, I've never even worked somewhere else or sat in a job interview before. No, so. That's the beauty of entrepreneurship. We just figure it out. Exactly. I always say that I'm like the difference between an entrepreneur and someone who can themselves not is that we know we don't have all the answers but we have the confidence to go and find them or we're not worried about the fact that we don't but yes yeah, fitting my time is definitely something that is constantly on my mind um and I do think I need to acknowledge the areas like on the influencing content side that I need to be involved in that others can't be Amy in that there are some things I have to maybe give a bit more time to than others but ultimately I like I like the split across the business and I think you know because I did grow it as that one woman band for the first 18 months, obviously it's grown legs since and I don't know every single process or detail, but I have a great gut of obviously every area yeah. with it being my company that I'd I'd hate to lose that as well. Yeah. And you have a good team, don't you? Brilliant because we team. initially got in touch with your consultant, yes. Camilla, yeah. who is amazing. Yeah, I think... And I'm sure you can attest to this, like your team or everything, like the people who you surround yourself with who carry the message when I can't be in the room or I can't be there to make that decision are so important. I would say it's actually one of the biggest learning areas that I've had from being a CEO. And I'm sure 
anyone listening to this who has a company themselves or is thinking of it, I think for me, it's been one of the biggest growth areas personally as an individual, like managing people. I always say like, you know, you can have an idea of a product or a service that you want. No one teaches you the HR that has to go with growing a team. But it has also been one of the most rewarding things when you actually like, people often say to me, what are the pinch me moments? Like when you see it on shelf, is it great? And it is. But sometimes it's a small things like you walk into a room where your whole team are there for a meeting and you're like, oh my God, like all of these people are in this brand. Like we... Yeah, I completely agree. And I think like people function in HR, one of those areas that is completely underrated. Oh my God. Yeah. They, they are so important. And I think as well, like the world is always changing, even in a post COVID world, like in terms of the hybrid working, the level of flexibility, like that's also a new era for I'm sure a lot of older HR functions that now have to, you know, yeah. And in a world. in a high growth scale up like us, I think culture and people's <sighs> attitude are everything. Yeah. Um, I read a really good quote recently that culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I loved that because I think, like you said, your culture is so important and it actually is the thing that drives everyone in the same force yeah. that then becomes strategy. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Um, and it's something I'm so passionate about and also paranoid about to be sure that we keep particularly now as we grow and we scale you know we have pockets of people in different countries and that's so exciting but like you have to keep that culture as well yeah absolutely and tell tell me more about your learning journey around Um, people and building a team I've become very self-aware of myself in terms of like the different personalities you're dealing with and I would like to think that I am good at like reading a personality or a need that someone has. You know, when you're sitting in a boardroom and someone might have a wild idea and then some might shoot it down, you're like, no, no, that's a good idea. We might not do it right now, but let's come back to it. So you keep that open nature. Um, I think one of the biggest learnings for me is being obsessed by the personality of the person and not just the skill set, the experience, the CV they come with. If you feel any sort of gut that there is something in a personality, it probably will show. And I think, you know, we've just referenced how important culture is. All it takes, and thankfully I haven't had much or a lot of experience with this, but we're getting bigger and the more people are coming in. I just think we have to stay laser focused on the type of human that's with us. And I think when you walk into the office now or anyone who's on the team, I'm sure would say like, it's the team that is the secret to the brand. Do you know, like they enjoy coming to work together. They enjoy the socialness that goes with it. Um, So I think, yeah, it's like, you could be really intrigued by someone's experience that comes in on a piece of paper and you think, oh my God, that's amazing. Like we need them. And then sometimes that might not connect up with the actual individuality of that person that needs to mix to keep the culture right. What are the biggest mistakes you made in this arena? Maybe acting a bit too fast. Um, Like I said, I'm really lucky with the team. They are super passionate um, that I haven't really had many situations of that, but I could just see how it could be an issue. Um, So I think like some of the biggest focuses for me as we grow is like the training and development of your current team. I feel like every startup, particularly in high growth, you know, you're like plugging gaps and you're getting new people in and you're forming teams, which is great. And then there's a certain phase of a team that are no longer the newbies that you have to kind of manage and retain and nurture and grow as well as welcoming in maybe more senior people who are helping to take the business to the next level and then constantly finding that forming of how everyone works together. So that's a big focus of mine at the moment. But to be honest, any CEO will always have a massive focus on people the whole yeah, time yeah. It's because so it's important. nonstop. I think culture is everything. Yeah. 
It's everything. So yeah, still figuring it out as we grow. Definitely don't have all the answers, even for me as a person. But I also think I've learned a lot about myself in it. Do you know when you're constantly going, did I handle that right? Did I speak right? Did I say the right thing? What was the most painful learning about yourself? That I acknowledge how sensitive I am. And I've tried to flip this in my mindset that um, it's actually a positive because it does show the care. And I think the care is what leads the culture. And that's probably why you're so good at reading people as well, because you're sensitive. Exactly. I I sound like I have all these thoughts about myself, but I think (laughs) I'm really sensitive to people's energies and tones, even in family situations as well as work, as well as friends, that I think I am maybe overconscious sometimes of how people are connecting Mm. or reacting when it might be fine. But I do think that I've, I've become really aware of that because also as we grow, like, you know, yourself, like things will go wrong a lot of the time. And I can really handle things that go wrong or or bad news. There's something about the human element that when I get a feeling in my stomach of like, oh, did I do this wrong? Did I do that wrong? I I really overthink it and I Mm. have to get stronger on that. Not saying I have to not care, but it's something that I'm conscious of because I get so impacted by things that I'm like, this is not sustainable, Amy, as we grow (laughs) into like 75 markets, hopefully when we take over the world. But at the same time, I do think it links back to empathy and care. And I think that is a big positive. So it's just finding a balance. Yeah, it's so important. And I think it's your superpower. But sometimes they say your superpower is also your biggest Totally. And I would absolutely echo that. 100%. So tell me about your early years. I know like you produced in Korea or part of your products in Korea, which is where I'm from and which is where a lot of beauty innovation comes from. It is the best What does your like, how did you go about developing your first products and finding those manufacturers and tell me everything. So we produce about 75% of our range in South Korea. Oh, yay. (laughs) I just think their access and ability to skincare ingredients is like second to none. So we actually started with them with beauty products that had a real skincare care link and then we actually launched with two specific skincare products last year so that came from pure requests from our community because I think we were so synonymous with the skincare element so I met our South Korean partner at a beauty trade show actually and that's one of the biggest tips I would often say to people in my industry who are looking to get started like you have to have good partners like that is your quality it is your replenishment your repurchase rate of a customer that it has to stand up to that trade shows can be a really good place to start because it's overwhelming. Like I went on to Google at the beginning and said, European manufacturers. And it was like this whole spreadsheet of people. Most of them didn't even respond to me because I was like- It's much easier to convince them in person. Exactly. And also I'm sending a cold email as 22 at the time. Absolutely no business plan, you know, no funding, no nothing. Just like, hi, I want to do a product. And they're like, who's this girl wasting her time? <laughs> but I did meet our, our partner at a trade show, which is great. And I flew out to South Korea about three weeks later um, with my now husband at the time. Uh, well, husband now, boyfriend at the time. <laughs> and it was amazing to see the factory. And I think that really put my own mind at ease that I could trust where it was being made, what was happening, and also see the innovation, like you said, like sit with the lab and really understand where we could go with formulas. So I typically could go out about twice a year now, still to this day, oh, wow. and love it. Some of my where, favorite where are your favorite places in Seoul? So I love Itaewon. Yeah. Obviously, we've been to like Gangnam. Yeah, Gangnam. Yeah. yeah, we actually ran around it and we do like coffee and dinners there. But I think Itaewon is probably my favorite. 
Yeah, I love Itaewon as yeah. well. I love North of the River. It's a, a lot more charming. Yes. Where I, do you stay normally? <laughs> like, <laughs> how do I pronounce the places? It's like when you come out of the airport, it's a little bit closer. Oh, Incheon. Yes. Yeah. We sometimes stay in Incheon just to avoid the mentalness of traffic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You it's know, when you're doing like long well. days yeah. in labs and warehouses and then yeah. you just sit in two hours to get back into Seoul. It's like, this is a lot. Yeah. So it depends yeah. what the agenda of the mental. trip is. It's like nothing I've ever seen. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. and I've been to busy places, <laughs> but I absolutely love it. And I think that's one of the special things. And I think I am so product obsessed. Like I, I would often say to people that in the first two years of the brand, much like people would say, oh, I feel like you guys are like everywhere all of a sudden. I definitely prioritize the product over the branding. Now, you could argue for or against that, but I think I really focused on what we were delivering and what we were doing and I suppose what we wanted to be as a brand before we worked in the branding story and kind of getting the brand out there and not just the product. Yeah, I love that. Like yeah. you have those fundamentals and now you have a wide range of products. That's it. Yeah. Well, what's your product development process? How does that work? So it can vary. Like I think now as the team is growing and our level of product portfolio has grown, like the early days, it was literally the cliche of like a 3 a.m. note in my phone going, oh, let's make this together. Like I think as a brand, we very much want to champion like the five minute face. So like fuss free products that are multi-purpose and essentially amazing quality. But the multi-purpose element is really special for me because that's like the little bit of innovation, the little bit of extra value, the little bit of a storytelling that maybe doesn't come with others. And also it's such a busy, saturated market that you have to have that little special connection that people remember. So we're a big fan of duos. Say, for example, the first product we produced with South Korea is called Beauty Base and it's our multi-purpose primer. So nothing existed like it on the market at the time. I'm not sure if it does now, but it's one of our main kind of entry products for people because it's been around the longest. And it's an SPF 30 broad spectrum has a bit of a glow and also has moisturizing properties. And I was basically taking a pump of three random products and mixing together to be like, this is what I want. But when you want to get broad spectrum protection, sometimes it can be really heavy in a real like white block. So I actually trialed producing it with Ireland at the beginning and they just didn't have the access to the level of SPF ingredients or the blend. Again, we're talking eight years ago, so things are more advanced now. Within my first intro to South Korea, three pumps on my hand, what do you think? They're like, yeah, yeah, no problem. First prototype back, we were honestly 75% of the way there. Like it was incredible what they could do. So I think sometimes in terms of your development, you're either sitting with the actual lab tech side by side and you're going through different ingredients, which I have to say the nerd in me absolutely adores. Um, obviously now as the team grows, we're looking at trends in the sense of like, what the industry is looking for, less so like the fad short-term products. Like we're very much your trusted makeup bag staples, not your kind of like hit and run quick trend fixes, which we absolutely support and want to sit in. So a mixture of kind of Amy's brain um, sitting with lab and also I suppose what I feel I want and I suppose having a really good connection with the customer, what I hope they will want to. But regardless, whatever we produce, um, it's heavily supported by education. And that is so important equally heavily supported by what our community are asking for. So I mentioned our physical skincare products literally came from the many requests of, will you please do this, this, and this? Yeah, I love that. And we sometimes involve them. We call it Sculpted by You, where they kind of might pick certain things as well. And I just think it's fun. And also yeah. people love the behind the scenes, don't they? They yeah, love actually absolutely. seeing the reality. Absolutely. How did you convince your manufacturer to manufacture your products when you had nothing? I guess like you had your like makeup pedigree and your Instagram account. But. but even still, like that was barely anything. You know, at the time, I think I started with a couple of thousand Instagram followers. Like there was no sense of 
this will be fine now, I'll sell this on Instagram. So it was definitely a hard sell into them. I think, like you mentioned, the face-to-face connection is undeniable. So when I was at the trade show, I could stand in front of them. They could see my passion and they could actually probably feel it radiate from me because I was like, I really want to do this. And I think also the commitment to me flying out to that factory three weeks after was like, okay, she's not messing. Do you know, she's she's here and she's arrived. And then obviously the factory portfolio has grown since then. But I think that was very fundamental in me actually securing them as as a partner. Do you work with multiples of factories now or do you like, are we they do. your biggest supplier? They're the by far our biggest. Yeah. yeah. So they would definitely, like I said, do about 75% of the range because we, we play so heavily in complexion and skin. Mm-hmm. But then we have other factories around the world for the rest of the products or some of the portfolio as well yeah. across eyes and stuff. And you've opened your first store in London. Yeah. Yeah, you've We're arrived. officially in well, London, welcome baby. Welcome to London. Welcome Thanks. to the UK. What are your plans in London and internationally? So we've forward? opened our first flagship in Carnaby. Um, so exciting. Yeah, like Our neighbor. I know. And what a lovely, like you said about even like the synergy of our customer at the beginning. Mm. Like we did obviously some bounce back for you guys when you arrived in Dublin. And there was just like this explosion of excitement yeah. across both, which is so lovely when you get that. Yeah, I feel like we have very similar vibe and similar yes. audience. Yeah. You're also a girl next door. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Two of us, yeah. <laughs> We're so excited about Carnaby and I think it's something that I've been trying to do for a long time, but you know yourself trying to get the right location and not rush things. Um, I think flagships are really special and I think it's really bringing that experiential element to London that hadn't existed for Sculpted before and really like showing up with a base of like, we're here, you know, the pink sign is above the door, we're not going anywhere. In terms of UK specifically, we're obviously available across Boots. We have the flagship now, so there's lots more to be done. Like this is a huge place to be in. So compared to our domestic market of Ireland, like there's already amazing things that could come from it because it's just so much bigger so that's really exciting in itself I think overall ambitions for me like I'm very much in the business of growing what I refer to as like a legacy brand so like I really want and hope and believe that like this is a brand that will be here for generations to come that like make loads of makeup bags around the world really really happy and make people feel really really good um but very aware of the challenges in terms of that global ambitious plan so you know, ideally, longer term, we would look at the US. Funding and investment is not something that we have taken to date. It could be become part of our conversation, given the kind of lofty goals that I have mm. and wanting to kind of attack them a bit quicker. But um, it's been like just phenomenal the last six or seven years. Like, yeah, that's amazing. It's and it's amazing wild. that you've been able to bootstrap the business so far. Yeah. How did you do that? Did you have loads of savings? Did you have family help? No, I didn't. Like, like I said, I come from a tiny family and like my mom, she's so great, but like equally was hit really badly by the recession. So my actual need to get a job wasn't just, I love my independence. It was also like she needed the support, which I was totally happy and chuffed that I did um, and it definitely taught me a lot in those early years so I think the way I kind of I mentioned a few times I kind of grew quite steadily but in particular that first 18 months were really slow so I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do with the brand where I wanted to go what I wanted it to be because truth be told I actually had only planned the first two products I was like oh this is great they were great I, I was naming the products not the brand and then I was like oh actually, this is great crack. Let's do it again. And then it kind of evolved. So it wasn't intentional. I didn't sit down with a five-year business plan or anything. So I think within that 18 months, really managing the cash flow of like pulling down inventory stock that I needed, funding that, getting the sales in and then going again, it was all very careful. And then thankfully, because we've been profitable since day one, we've had the cash flow to inject right back in. 
and every cent has gone back into it the whole time. Yeah, I love so, that. Because I feel like there's a lot of talk about raising a lot of money and that's yeah. become very popular. Yeah. And I think actually for the founder, it's much better to bootstrap and keep all of your business. Yeah, and I think, listen, like it depends on the situation. There's some people who physically just cannot start their business without it. And 100%, I would say, go for the funding. But it can also be... And I, I don't know from experience, but from speaking to people, really time consuming and really exhausting for people that sometimes you just want to focus on the business and yeah. actually just get that going. Yeah. And I think the control piece is important, provided, you know, you have someone who's aligned with your vision, like, you know, yourself, it changes so much in those initial first phases of the business where you're trying to find out your own strengths. You're trying to get people around you that support the business that, you know, we flex a little bit kind of along the way. So, yeah, I think being in control myself has definitely supported that. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, we haven't, we've raised money, but not a lot. Yeah. And I was fortunate to get really understanding and like, you know, su super nice investors that yeah. are aligned. But I think having that control and yeah. like say, and being able to run the business without interference is so, so, so important. Because yeah. I see so many founders who are just fundraising machines. I know. And then the team are running the business, but you are the one with the vision. You have to be part in the business yeah. present. Like you have the gut of like, where you're going to take the business so equally like it's great that you have great partners on the investment side because they should also trust and lead the person who who's doing it do you know and, and support the the overall ambition of where they want to go but you're right like I've spoken to and seen many situations sometimes where it doesn't go right with the partner unfortunately or like that their whole time is just taken up by it that sometimes the business can suffer as well if they're yeah, they're absolutely. out do you know yeah but yeah who knows what will happen yeah. we definitely have like i said those lofty goals so investment might become part of it yeah yeah we'll see. so legacy brand international yeah no pressure dominance <laughs> and what's what's your personal goal in the end Oh, that is a good question. I don't often get asked that. It's always about the business. I feel like, like I mentioned earlier, I just love life. I love business and I love sculpted. <laughs> I think sculpted's <laughs> great. So I feel like I have so much left to give. Like I would never want to stay beyond my time. Um, but I don't have an exit plan in the sense of let's take investment, let's do this and then let's go. I'm like, we're on a journey. We're only getting started. This is amazing. And on a personal, personal level, I really want to grow something, like I said, that's here for many more generations, even beyond me. But on a very simple level, keep the niceness, like stay a nice person, do the right thing, make more of an impact than what you think you can and be really proud of those parts as well. What that is right now, I actually don't know. But um, yeah, my biggest compliment is, is when people say she's very normal. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I would hope to stay as regardless of, of what wild journey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever wild journey we go on. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And what's one advice you'd give an early stage founder? Early stage founder. Okay, two things. Um, one is really simple and it's to always listen to your gut. I think there are fewer things more powerful than that. And it sounds like you know, a really basic level of business. Obviously you can have data, you can have voices, you can have advices, but like whenever I felt something wrong in my gut, it has always proven itself. So I feel like having that really strong instinct and backing yourself because you have the idea and you know it and you have the passion is really important and often overlooked. And a more kind of specific practical one, like things will always go wrong. Like we're just in the business of like 
measuring how big the fire is. Do you know, it's like, okay, that's a small one that's put out easily. That's a big one that needs attention. And that used to really freak me out for the first kind of six months. And I think now I am much better at dealing with it. And I think the biggest learning and the biggest pass on I would say to anyone starting out is just try and stay solution focused. So don't be over concerned, which is easier said than done sometimes, about the issues happening. Once you find the plan B, sometimes actually that can even be better. But just try and keep your head with that because that's where you can really lose control quite quickly, particularly when you're building a team as well. And they're looking at you going, what's the answer? And you're like, I'm currently just flailing here. Just give me five. So, um, yeah, I think being aware that issues are going to come regardless of what you do, because there's just some things you can't control. That's totally normal. And just keep your solution focused mind. Yeah. Stay positive. Stay yeah, level-headed. Exactly. Advice. And if only we all did, everyone would be normal. But unfortunately, <laughs> we all have our moments and that's fine too. <laughs> that's so true. Okay. Some quick fire. <laughs> okay. Go Since for it. Since you're a makeup artist, um, what are your top tips uh, on natural makeup? Oh, well, I'm all about natural makeup. So I would say less is more, which is a very common makeup statement, but you can still wear all the products that you want. Consider the four pillars of your face. You have cheekbones, you have lashes, you have brows, you have lip shape. Add in a fifth, which is your complexion. Give all of them a little bit of attention in as much or as little as you want. So go for a really dark liner, go for a really natural liner, you name it. Once all of them have a little something going on, you have this beautifully natural curated 360 face. Mm, what do you do, for example, for, on, on your face? My go-to routine, um, a base that I put on my brush, probably second skin, which is our number one. Uh, brush through my brows with a little bit of pencil and gel. Mascara as a must. I've got very fair lashes. So without mascara, people are like, are you tired? And I'm like, <laughs> no. Cream blush all over my cheeks and my lips. And lip liner. I would actually favor lip liner over lipstick if I had to. Oh, are yeah. you wearing one right now? Yeah, it might be gone after all our chatting. <laughs> but I'm wearing shade bare, but like blend into the lip. Give your lips a match together. Mm, make sure it's creamy. That's great So you've too. got brows, mascara, complexion, blush, which can double up as a duo. Like I mentioned, we love a duo. And then your lip shape. Okay. Smoky eye tip. If you want a five minute smoky eye, that works for all eye shapes because the biggest eye shape I get asked about is hooded eyes. People get so concerned that they've got a hooded eye that they don't know what to do with it. It's ironically one of the most amazing eye shapes. But this works for everyone. It also looks like you put way more effort in than you actually have. Take either a chubby um, stick eyeshadow or take a deeper, say, brown eyeshadow pan and powder. Take your flat brush and blend it the whole way across your lid. So the flat part of your eye. Blend out of that with a bit of bronzer and bring that dark brown around your lash line. So you can do this with a cold pencil, with a chubby stick eyeshadow, or with a flat pan powder eyeshadow. But essentially you're bringing all the darkness to the lash line. So when your eyes are open, which most of the time hopefully they are because you're connecting with people, you have that intensity around the lash line that makes you look uber sultry and sexy, but that might've taken you about 30 seconds to do. Ooh, I might try that tonight. Doom, you'd be gorgeous. <laughs> Some party makeup tips. Party makeup. So you could equally take that five minute smoky eye if you wanted. I think when it comes to party, people naturally bring in their kind of statement lips. So you might go for a red, you might go for a berry, you might add a little bit more of your neutral color, but you're just upping the ante a bit. I think the biggest thing when you're emphasizing lips is making sure the shape is right. So don't take for granted that your liner, et cetera, might be on. Give a little bit of a clean up with your flat brush or concealer around it just to be sure that nothing looks a little bit wonky or off center because it shows really clearly when you do your lips and give them focus. And nothing screams party like a bit of a glitter shadow. Get some of a topper, shadow, actual glitter, whatever you have, and just swipe it across your lid and your eyes will be like glistening. 
Ooh, great tips. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amy. I no feel worries. so cozy and inspired. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a lovely chat. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow the podcast wherever you're listening or watching. You can follow me at Connie Nam, Astrid and Mew at Astrid and Mew, and Unboxed Instagram page at Unboxed underscore Founder Confidential. See you next week.